Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with guest pastor Char Broderson. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, all that are worn out on religion, all that are worn out on the failed idols of culture and the failed visions of kingdom and glory, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my identity and mission, my calling upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Char Broderson continues our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Char concludes his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 4 in a message titled, Who Is It All For? And now here's Pastor Char. What happened is as Paul journeys on his way to arrest Jesus' followers, he meets the risen, glorified Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it changed everything. Because if Jesus is not dead, but is alive, glorified, we're told that he shines brighter than the new day sun. This is the Shekinah glory of God from the Old Testament being seen in the New Testament. This is proof that Jesus was in fact the son of man, the messianic figure to whom Yahweh would grant the nations, the power, the authority. He's the king of Israel. He now rules at the right hand of Yahweh. And this means that all the promises of what God intended for Israel the end of exile, the sting of the judgment, the redemption, the rescue had come about. Jesus was Israel's true and long-awaited king, the savior, the one who redeems Israel. God had done it. He had done what he had always promised to do for Israel, to install himself as king to rescue and redeem Israel from their sins and then to bring in the nations to worship the one true king. You guys, this moment becomes the defining moment of Paul's life. It becomes his vision and greatest passion because of his understanding of the greatness of God's love, what God had accomplished through Jesus. His goal then was to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations for the sake of Jesus' name. Everywhere he went, this is what Paul was all about, making known the lordship of Jesus Christ. It is all over the book of Acts. It is all over the epistles that Jesus is king. So knowing Jesus, making him known, pleasing him became the new operating principle of Paul's life. Nothing mattered more than this. This was the meaning of life for Paul. Even if that meant radical suffering, and it often did, listen to him in Philippians 3. I want to know Jesus. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Thomas Chalmers, he once spoke of the expulsive power of a greater affection. But Phineas had been Paul's hero growing up. But on that day, on that road to Damascus, I'll tell you, Paul had a new hero. He had a new goal. He had a new reason for being, for doing, for living, for suffering, for dying. And it was Jesus Christ, the true King of Israel. And after that, everything was about Jesus. Everything was about pleasing Jesus. Everything was about modeling his life after Jesus in every way that he could. This is who and what Paul is all about. And it's as if Paul now turns his focus back to the church at Corinth to say, I follow Jesus, the crucified King. Corinthians, who and what are you all about? So I'll ask us before I read this section, who and what are we all about? Paul, with dripping irony, describes himself and other apostles in contrast to the prosperity and celebrity culture that the Corinthians are modeling their lives after. Again, my paraphrase, he says, we apostles are like prisoners of war at the end of the procession. We are like those condemned to die in the arena. Remember, this is where the gladiators would fight brutal battles, chopping off limbs. It was just gore and blood and guts. It was a show. He says, we're a spectacle for the whole cosmos, for both angels and humans. We are fools for Christ, weak dishonored, hungry, and thirsty, wearing rags and brutally treated, without homes, working hard with our own hands, cursed but always blessing, persecuted yet enduring, slandered and answering kindly. The scum of the earth and garbage of the world. And then Paul masterfully adds a personal note. Corinthians... I am your father in the faith. And though you may have had a lot of babysitters in recent years, you only have one father. I brought you into the gospel. So see, Paul's point here is to remind the Corinthians that whatever they've been taught by others, it's evident that it is inconsistent with the fact that we are following a once crucified king. A king the world rejected, mocked, and murdered. The question for ourselves is, the question for the church in Corinth is, does the church bear the reproach, the sufferings, the image of our king, or does it look like the typical leaders, authorities, and rulers of this world? I've mentioned this before but it is so easy to make a Jesus after our likeness. 
I think Tim Keller is the first person I heard say this, but he said, if you find that your God is one who always agrees with you and never offends you, chances are you are not following the biblical God. So if we have a Jesus that our lives are modeled after, that is only prosperity, only goodness, only peace, only ease, the question is, are we following the real Jesus? Do we bear his image? Now see, here's the thing. Paul wanted all of it. He wasn't going to smorgasbord conformity to Christ. He wasn't going to pick and choose what he thought fit nicely and what wouldn't fit or wouldn't work. He wanted all of it. And he had actually even come to realize that the sufferings more than anything brought conformity to the image of Jesus. Jesus' lowliness, his weakness, his meekness, And those were the things. Maybe it was just because of Paul's personality. I don't know. But this is where Paul drilled down. This is how he wanted to know Jesus. These were the ways he focused in being like him. To join in his sufferings, to bear his reproach. It's interesting as you read through this list of this, you know, as I said, dripping with irony. This is Sermon on the Mount type stuff. Cursed, answering kindly, persecuted, yet enduring it. Paul really modeled his life off of the person and teachings of Jesus Christ. It's everywhere. So the title of my sermon is, Who Is It All For? And so I want to begin to just kind of bring everything to a close with that idea. In Paul's call to the church to follow him in bearing the image of Jesus, I'm reminded of something that struck me years ago when teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. There's a section when Jesus calls his people to love our enemies, to do good to those, you know, who would spitefully treat us and would use us and all sorts of evil against us. So Jesus calls us to forgive. Jesus calls us to love. But Jesus doesn't give us the reasons that we would expect. Jesus doesn't say, you know, love your enemies, do good to those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you, because it's the right thing to do. Because actually, if you don't, you'll be in years of therapy dealing with this. You actually find that it's really difficult to even forgive yourself. He doesn't say it's good for society. So this is why we should do it. Because of our neighbor, because of, you know, building a utopia or whatever it might be that we often think about, you know, just for the good of the neighborhood, to be at peace with our neighbors. He doesn't tell us it's just good for you. It will bring you joy. He doesn't even say it's good for kingdom PR. None of these are the reason, though all of these may be certain results of following this command. I actually believe that all of them are. But Jesus says, we are to love and forgive because this is who our father is. This is who our king is. And when we love like God loves, we bear the family likeness. 
so that you might be children of God. So that you might be like your father in heaven who causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Or, in other words, who loves indiscriminately. I think in the same way Paul is calling us, the church and individual members of it, to bear the image of Christ. Are there benefits and blessing to the lives of others when we do this? Yes, there are. Are there benefits and blessings to my life when I do this? Absolutely. And yet, we do it because of him. We do it because of him. We do it because he's the king. We do it because he is the meaning of the world. He is the meaning of history. He is, as Revelation says, the beginning. He is the end. He is the king, the servant king, the humble king, the master of the house, our redeemer, our rescuer, the lover of our souls. We do it for him. He is the one that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We do it for the glory and praise of his name. That is why we do what we do This is why we are who we are, because of him. Michael Goheen, in his book, The Church and Its Vocation, it's a book actually all about teaching and ecclesiology of Leslie Newbegin. He says this, he's quoting Leslie Newbegin. The goal of the biblical story is the cosmic renewal of the creation. And the church's mission is to participate in God's purpose by a faithful witness in life, word, and deed to what he is doing to the ends of the earth in order to invite others into it, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, is what he's saying. What then, he asks, is the point of mission or missions? Is our ultimate concern the need of all people for salvation? Is it the renewal of society? He says, these are valid concerns, but they are not our primary goal. So what is? The answer, I believe, quite simply is the glory of God. If God has done what the Bible says he has done, then our response should be to witness to his love and ask, how can I glorify God? How can I please him? It's not, what do you think about me? What do you think about what I should be doing? You tell me. It's not about, what should I be doing, self? What is the goal of life? What is the purpose of living? It's not this existential question for myself, for me to answer. It is outside of me. It's him. How can I glorify God is the question so that there may be throughout the world those who turn their faces to God and give him thanks and glorify him. He says the glory of God is the purpose the goal of mission, and our one aim is that we should praise and glorify him. 
Paul wants to recalibrate the church back to looking like Jesus through imitation of Jesus and his ways. And so he says this is the reason why he is sending Timothy to Corinth. He will remind them of Paul's way of life in Christ Jesus, the way that Paul had patterned his whole life after the life of Jesus. And not only that, but Paul himself is on the way, he says. And when he shows up, he says his way of life, this priority, this identity, this pattern, this everything for the sake of his name, will be proven to be the only life that has true power. I want you to think about that for a moment. What life, what identity has true power? Paul says, it is the life that is patterned after the life of Jesus. A life lived for the glory and after the pattern of Jesus Christ is the only life of kingdom power. For he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talking. We can talk a big talk. The question is, where is the power? As I studied through this text these last two weeks, as I thought about Paul and his solid identity, his one aim to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. Man, I just thought about what could God do if we begin to live out this solid identity as disciples and heralds of the kingdom of God? What if we lived out like the Westminster Catechism says, What is my one comfort in both life and death? That I am not my own, but I belong to God and to Jesus Christ, both body, soul. I totally butchered that, but, and it's longer than that. But that I belong to God, all of me. That is my main purpose. That is my main calling, to know him and to make him known. What could God do if the church began to live that out? Each of us as individuals. How might God manifest his kingdom, power and glory in our midst, in our city, in our county? What healing work might he do in our own lives? And so like Paul, have you gotten a true vision, a revelation of the greatness and centrality of Jesus Christ? Have you experienced the expulsive power of a greater affection? Thomas Chalmers talked about this is the, this is the way that radical transformation happens. You have a goal, you have an aim, but something else comes along and it just takes it out of the picture. And now you have a new goal, a new aim. This is what happened for Paul. Have you experienced that? The expulsive power of a greater affection? Or does your sin and the temptation that is before you constantly, does it still hold your affection? The vision that you have for your life, do you still, does it still hold your affections, your desires? Listen. 
You've gone after these things already, and they have already failed you. And these are prophetic whisperings to you. This is not where the power is found. This is not where a solid identity is found. This will not sustain you. This will not satisfy you. But Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, all that are tired, all that are worn out on religion, all that are worn out on the failed idols of culture and the failed visions of kingdom and glory, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my identity and mission, my calling upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. You ever think about that line? Rest for our souls. Augustine wisely once said, O Lord, you have made us for yourself and our souls are restless until they rest in you. Have you found that to be true? Or are you still wrestling? Are you still looking? Are you still longing? Have you gotten the true vision? Or church, maybe I'm speaking to you, true follower of Jesus. Have you lost sight? This has been a confusing season. Talk about what we should be doing. Talk about identity issues. And this last year through every single one of us for a spin. And if it didn't, I want to talk to you. You can help me. So I'll ask you, have you lost sight of the glory of Jesus? Have you lost sight of the power and reality of the gospel? That this is the true story of the world. That Jesus is the meaning of history. Are you constantly looking to establish an identity and calling for yourself, but feeling lost and powerless? Jesus freely offers you and me a solid identity in him. We talked about this two weeks ago. Solid identity as those dearly loved by God and rescued by him and rescued for him. Rescued from slavery in order to be children of God, to bear the family likeness, to carry the family mission out. To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. May the Holy Spirit work in each of us today to lay aside the false identities that we take on, the alternative kingdom visions that distract us from the glory of the true king and from our mission to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in both word and deed. I'll leave you with this. What is the Holy Spirit pressing on in you right now? And will you confess it? Will you allow God to do a deep work? Will you bring it out into the light, out into the open? Confess it. Leave it at the feet of Jesus. Be freed from it. Take up his mantle. Take up his mission. 
And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. Hi, Pastor Brian here. One of my favorite subjects is that of apologetics. And it's so important to know what we believe and to also know why we believe what we believe. So I want to recommend a fantastic book, a book by Paul E. Little that is called Know Why You Believe. And this book's been around for quite a few years And he does just a real great job in simply laying out arguments for why we believe in God, why we believe Jesus rose from the dead, why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And I think that this is something that every Christian ought to educate themselves in. So I want to recommend Paul E. Little's book, Know Why You Believe. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. You can order the book Know Why You Believe by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights as Pastor Brian resumes our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.